Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice be when a lawless heart is... Hey everybody, this is Shane Claiborne and I have got to tell you it is an exciting month, January of 2023 for a number of reasons, but one of them is that this is the 25th anniversary of The Simple Way, (laughs) the the community that I've had the privilege of being a part of for um, all these years. We just turned 25. We are a quarter of a century old. So I thought I'd spend this show sharing just a little bit about this community that um, I, I guess, you know, I've helped shape, but it's really shaped me. And, you know, a few lessons learned. I'll tell you a few stories. Some of you that know our community might know some of these stories, but um, it's a fun time to think back and reflect over the lessons we've learned over the past quarter of a century. And it was in January of 1998, specifically January 9th, 1998, that a few college friends and I pulled our money together, inspired by the early church in the book of Acts and how they shared everything they had and lived the gospel out of their homes and dinner tables, and um, also inspired by a group of really courageous uh, families in Philadelphia who didn't have homes, mostly mothers and children that had been uh, living in an abandoned Catholic church building. Uh, so it's kind of that dual combination that sparked the community here on the north side of Philadelphia. You can you can always like check out some of our work on the website thesimpleway.org. And I write about it in The Irresistible Revolution. But let me tell you just a little bit. So the backdrop of this was that uh, a, a couple of years before, as we were, as I was an undergrad at Eastern University, that's about like 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. We heard on our college campus about a crisis where homeless mothers and uh, children were living in an abandoned church building on the north side of Philadelphia at, uh, at the intersection of 8th and York, uh, where where they had, in desperation, really no place to go. There were 3,000 families on the waiting list for housing. And so they, they moved into this old abandoned church building. We've got abandoned buildings everywhere. We've got like some 30,000 abandoned houses. We've got 700 abandoned factories. We've There's, there's a lot of... Um, uh, moving out that has happened uh, in uh, in in North Philadelphia, and so these families though they saw this old abandoned church building and, and, and recognized it not just as any building but as a sacred space, you know, as a sanctuary that they should be able to seek refuge in. So they went into it, started living there, um, and as some of you may know, the the tragic response of the Catholic Church was that they were trespassing. 
and that if they weren't out within 48 hours, they could be arrested for um, uh, trespassing on the church's property. Now, the media caught wind of that, and it really um, captured the headlines in many of the publications in Philly. And we read in the newspaper, it's I will never forget the headlines, it said, Church Resurrected. And it talked about this abandoned church that um, was brought back to life. Uh, but then it, that story ended by saying that there was a clock ticking. And after 48 hours, these families could be uh, forcibly evicted or arrested. And that's originally what pulled us together. And uh, this is just a couple of years before we started The Simple Way, but it's so important that that was the backdrop. That, and, and you know, we we had a prayer meeting, as good evangelicals do, and, and uh, we threw our hands up at God. And we said, God, why don't you do something? And we very clearly felt like we heard God say back, I did do something. I made you all, you know, get down there. You're meant to be, you know, the hands and feet of of Christ in the world, get down there. So we, we, we found that cathedral and on the front of it, the families had hung a banner that said, how can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday? Woo! Ha! How can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday? Our lives have never been the same. I mean, that, that struggle for housing um, sparked a student solidarity movement where um, about a hundred of us, I mean, it's like our campus was only about a thousand people at the time and about a hundred of us got involved in that struggle for housing. Many of us were willing to risk arrest by uh, moving in as much as we could. Uh, you know, we were commuting back and forth to our college campus and trying to go to classes, but we were also trying to stand in solidarity. And whenever we would leave, uh, that was often when the police would come and try to get the families out. So we had an air horn on campus and we had a cell phone before cell phones were everywhere. And they would call us from the cathedral. They had, we, you know, they had a cell phone too, and they'd call us when the police came to evict them. And we would honk an air horn on campus and all pile into cars and have this caravan down uh, of solidarity. And so, you know, one thing after another happened, and eventually, many of those, you know, months and months later, many of those families had housing. Uh, a lot of them are still inspiring us today. The, the organization that is now uh, happening here in Philadelphia is called the Poor People's Army, uh, organized by some of those same folks uh, that, that did the church takeover. And we, um, as students, we're, we felt something, you know, we felt this kind of fire in our bones and this desire to uh, do something meaningful in the world, especially around poverty and homelessness. Um, and we we started looking at our faith. We started reading scripture and we read from the book of Acts in chapter two and chapter four about how the early church, it literally says that their offerings were put at the apostles' feet. And they were distributed to folks as they had need. And then it says there were no needy persons among them. I mean, we we often think about Pentecost and the uh, all the incredible, the fire of the Holy Spirit that came and the, the tongues of fire and all the different cultures that were brought together. But sometimes we miss that one of the miracles of Pentecost was this radical uh, sharing that happened, the not holding their possessions as their own. And so that inspired us. And we, we pulled our money together uh, to buy this little house. I'm looking at it across the street. 
And in January uh, 9th, 1998, back in the 1900s, y'all, <laughs> 25 years ago this week, uh, we moved into 3234 Potter Street, this little corner house that used to be a shoe repair store. And when we got there, it had all kinds of shoe equipment. And um, I, the guy smoked a lot. So we had to like peel the walls down and get uh, and we renovated this house. And I'll never forget as we were doing it, one of the first stories uh, was we're fixing this old house up and the shoe repairman had passed away. We bought it from his family. And um, but we're just digging through decades of stuff. And um, and we kind of were joking, too, that somewhere we were going to find the gold. <laughs> there had to be a stash of gold somewhere in this house. And uh, we never found the gold. But here's what we did find. I, I'm tall, you know, I'm like six two, so I'm I'm cleaning one of the top shelves in the the old shoe repair store, and there's just piles of dust from the leather of shoes, I guess. And and as I'm dusting off this shelf, I hit something. I'm like, what what in the world's that? And I couldn't. It felt heavy, so I I didn't want to knock it off. And I looked up and I had to get a ladder and I, I climb up a little higher so I could see it. And there's a hand grenade there. <laughs> I mean, I, can't, I don't know hand grenades real well, but I know this enough to know that it's not like a fake keychain thing, but this is a legit hand grenade, right? So we're like, oh my gosh. I yell at everybody. I'm like, you got to see this. And so we we start thinking, what, what are we going to do? And um, we call, you know, I think we'll, we'll call the, the local police and, and just tell them we need somebody to come look at it. And I'm thinking this is Kensington. They've seen everything. You know, our, our neighborhoods uh, got plenty of struggles. So they, they've, they're they not going to freak out. I call though and they totally freak out. And they're like, oh, you got to call 911. We call 911 and they freak out. And they're like, we got to get the bomb squad out there, right? So, I mean, we're literally just been in the house for our, uh, a few days as we're cleaning it. And and the bomb squad comes, all the media, you know, they get tipped. And so they're here. They close off. They quarantine our entire block. And neighbors are coming out. And they're like, wow, you know, who are the new folks that moved in on the corner? <laughs> and uh, one of my uh, my earliest memories was the block cap. So this is someone that's like a the local um representative for the block, kind of an elder of the neighborhood. And um, that family, um, Miguel Diaz, he comes down and he goes, oh, what's happening here? And I'm like, well, it, you know, we're cleaning the house and we found this, what looks to be a hand grenade, you know, <laughs> and I'm trying to like um, de-escalate things a little bit. So I'm like, it's probably not real, you know, and, and then the bomb squad's like, everybody has to evacuate get out there's a grenade there's a bomb in the house i'm like oh my gosh here we are so turns out that's how we met all the neighbors everybody was in the street we get to say hey listen we didn't bring the bomb we just found it and uh, it turns out it was a real grenade um i think it, it had been all um like made inoperable or something, but like they were still pretty freaked out. And they're like, if you find another one of those, you need to call us back. They put it in this big case. It was very dramatic, just like, like a movie or something. They pulled the thing out and we kept going y'all. So that was how we met all our neighbors. <laughs> and uh, if you're just listening to the show, by the way, um, thanks for joining. I'm Shane Claiborne and um, record this, this show and podcast every week. And this week is the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of The Simple Way, the community that I helped start and have been a part of 
um, all these years. And so I was just telling a few stories. So as, as we get going, you know, we start simply and um, just a, a year or two before we started it, we spent some time, me and a couple other, my community mates, we had been to India, to Calcutta, India, where we worked with Mother Teresa. And um, one of the things that inspired us and still does to this day is Mother Teresa's, um, she had this powerful philosophy that she sums up like this. She said, what's important is not how much we do, but how much love we put into doing it. And she said, we're, we're not called to do great things. We're called to do small things with great love. So what matters is not how much you do, but how much love you put into doing it. And for many years, we had that little quote above our front door that said, today, let us do small things with great love or not even answer the door. And I think as I think back over the last 25 years, one of the things I hope you know, that we've aspired to do is not be so obsessed with programs or how many bags of food we give out or how many units of housing we've created, but do people feel loved? But what's more important than how many people get toys at Christmas is do people feel loved? Uh, and and I, I know from being in so many different places in the world that you can have really efficient infrastructures and social programs, uh, but you can have good health care and not have someone hold, holding your hand as you die. You can have a house, but not have a home, you know, a community of folks to share it with. And so that's always been, you know, my hope for us is that we would do small things with great love. It's also where we got the name, The Simple Way. We brainstormed all kinds of different names for our community, and we landed on The Simple Way, which was um, really inspired by that idea of, of Mother Teresa. She had a book called The Simple Path. And we also knew, you know, the early church was called the way. So we called it the simple way. And Mother Teresa said that that uh, following Jesus uh, is simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. So it's not the easy way, but it's a simple way. And, and our our whole philosophy, you know, we we kind of said we're we're about loving God and loving people. And originally, as we started our community, that was the big commitment that everybody made. I dedicate my life to loving God and loving people and following Jesus. We kind of added that one, love God, love people, and follow Jesus. And uh, in in many ways, we, over the years, we began to put some flesh on that. You know, we had to figure out how do you get the dishes done? <laughs> I remember one community I visited, uh, they had a shirt, they had t-shirts printed that said, everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. <laughs> so you got to figure out ways that you live uh, together in community. And there were times, y'all, where we had 10 or 15 people sharing a house together, uh, like a th technically a three-bedroom house. And um, how do you live together? Well, Mother, uh, uh, Dorothy Day, you know, the co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, she said, we've got to create an environment where it's easier to be good. Isn't that beautiful? Where it's easier to be good. So we had a couple of statements we began to create that tried to capture that. One was called our foundations, and those were kind of our core convictions, our essential 
practices and the other, the foundations was one and then functionality was how we get rent done and, you know, paid and dishes done, how we live together. And it's interesting that that was the the nuts and bolts of how we live. We, we thought we need a foundation of some of our shared beliefs and practices. We need to articulate that. What is the charism, the vibe, you know, what is the, the essence of our community? And, and also, um, how do we get stuff done? How do we take care of each other? How do we um, stay accountable to the things that we believe in? Uh, and, you know, um, I mentioned that there were 10 to 15 people that uh, lived here sometimes. And one of the uh, the interesting stories is we, we started sharing food and, you know, there were all kinds of, and doing hospitality, we'd have folks coming out of the domestic violence that lived here, folks that were trying to get off drugs that would live here, all kinds of, um, you know, folks that lived on the street. I had a VW van for a while, <laughs> old school, like hippie van, and we would let people sleep in there. And so, I mean, it was a little uh, wild and chaotic and, um, and, Eventually, some of our neighbors, not many of them, but a handful of them uh, started to kind of be concerned. And, um, you know, at the time, I was very frustrated with that. There were racial dynamics. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, Looking back, you know, we were sharing food with about 100 people a day. We weren't always responsible to clean up and to make sure people weren't, you know, using the bathroom and on someone else's sidewalk and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, eventually uh, they got us, dr- we, we were dragged before the zoning board and this is the board, you know, overseeing different properties in Philadelphia. And this was the zoning. They said we were violating the law by having so many people living together. And of course, we're just innocently, you know, trying to say, oh, but we're living like the early church. You know, we're this is how they lived. And we're trying to live like that. I don't know. I hope we weren't quite that pretentious but we we were you know we were wearing our faith on our sleeve we're like listen we are trying to take care of people here and um and they said well you're breaking a brothel law and we're like wow <laughs> that's news to us you know we must be the first brothel uh the like, first christian brothel in philadelphia but um anyway it was interesting because as we had fought, fought before the court the technical law that we were breaking was you can't have this many people that are unrelated, you know, not all biological family living together. So it was very interesting because that was actually part of the point, you know, is that we believe we're born again. We're going to live, you know, bigger than nuclear family. We're going to do hospitality to folks that are on the street. And we don't, we didn't have all the zoning for that. And frankly, like we didn't really care. We thought we were just doing God's work. Right. So we go to the zoning board, we go, we go to court basically. And the irony is that the, um, the, uh, person from the city of Philadelphia um, at, to represent the city was, his name was Jesus, Jesus. He was a Latino guy. His name was Jesus. <laughs> and our lawyer volunteered, you know, to represent us. Uh, and he, he's Jewish. And so he said, y'all better pray because here we go. And we're going to, we're going to be up against Jesus. <laughs> and thankfully our Jewish lawyer uh, beat Jesus, beat Jesus in court. And we got a variant. So we got permission to continue our work and thank God we did. So, you know, looking back, there's probably some things I, I would uh, do a little differently, but these are, you know, these are part of the, the collective experience of falling forward over 25 years of community living. And, you know, I think back in some of the early days, we we spent fighting these anti-homeless laws. And as many of you know, we we ended up going to jail over and over and over um, fighting these laws. At one point, I lost count, I think around 
20 or 30 times that we had gone to jail fighting against um, laws that made it illegal to distribute food, laws that um, like the death penalty laws in the U.S. Um, we were protesting executions, which at the time, we there was a time where we were having almost 100 executions a year here in the U.S. Thank God, you know, those have dropped and we're still working for the abolition of death penalty, but we were fighting that. And then the Iraq war came around. And some of you know, I I went with a delegation to Iraq and, and um, uh, to protest the war on the ground. You know, we lived in Baghdad while the U.S. was bombing uh, Iraq. And um, but what was amazing was I'll never forget the community here was protesting. I mean, there were it was the most protested war in history, the um, shock and awe campaign, the war in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. And when I was in Baghdad, every morning we would have briefings. We would have a news briefing and like updates. And and they said, Shane, we got um, news from your community. The whole community is in jail. <laughs> uh, in fact, over a hundred people went to jail for non-violently, peacefully, prayerfully protesting the bombing and war in Iraq. And in fact, my whole community ended up going to jail and some folks ended up serving a little bit of time for that. But those convictions, right, rooted in our faith, that as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor. That Sermon on the Mount is what inspired us 25 years ago. It continues to inspire us today. And over the years, we've done all kinds of things. We we organized marches. Uh, we marched one time from Washington, D.C. to New York City, over 300 miles um, with poor and homeless families uh, all over the country, many in other parts of the world to to bring attention to extreme poverty. We, we were marching to the United Nations from Washington, D.C. to the U.N. Um, we have done a lot of work trying to um, heal the 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 wounds of the opioid pandemic. Um, one of the things that we did is we we live in, in really the heart of that. And we one year prompted by our kids, we gathered all the heroin needles from our streets and from the gardens. And we, we see them all the time. We're tripping over needles. And so we put them in jars, hundreds of needles that were put in these, these glass jars and we put epoxy in them. And we had a campaign called need a little help. <laughs> and the needles were in the jar. We had these, you know, petitions. We need a little help over here. And we delivered those to our mayor and our council people and the kids were really in the forefront of it they were the impetus for it and and um and after that we saw a response of, of a an emergent re, emergency response to the opioid epidemic um there's still more that needs to be done but i i think of those campaigns that we've done you know over the years now we're you know beating guns into garden tools we're turning abandoned houses into homes for families and all of that um is is um, I'm so grateful. And so many of you have supported our work over the years. You can still support the simple way and here's some of the stories, see some of the pictures. You can follow us on social media. It's just the simple way.org. Um, and I, you know, I think one of the hardest points of our life together was um, I think it was 2007. So about 10 years into our community life, we had a huge fire. And many of you may remember that it was the biggest, as big as fires get, what we call a seven alarm fire. And uh, it started in one of the abandoned factories and burnt down our community center, burnt down our entire block. And a hundred families were displaced by that fire. The emergency um, 
response of the Red Cross and others, they set up an evacuation. And I mean, people's cars were blowing up and the fire was still raging and we had no electricity. And so they set up an emergency shelter. But listen to this. This is one of my greatest memories. They, The Red Cross workers said, listen, it was amazing. No one ended up sleeping in the shelter that we set up because you all, everyone in the neighborhood opened their homes up to each other. So people began, you know, crashing on each other's floors. One of my neighbors who has passed away now, she said, I saw everybody with their dogs and cats on the sidewalk because her home had burnt down. And she said, so I decided to become the the pet shelter. <laughs> God bless you. And she took care of the, the cats and dogs. We had someone else that started cooking and giving out food. And you guys, it was amazing that no one stayed in that shelter, but it's also not that surprising because our neighborhood, despite all the obstacles, has flourished. Community has flourished here um, because I think the spirit of God is here, you know, and some people are, you know, my neighborhood's called Kensington, which means something a little different in the UK. But here, you know, Kensington is often called the Badlands. And I always tell people, you better not call it that because that's exactly what they, they said of Nazareth. Nothing good could come from there. But look who showed up. Jesus came from a place where they said nothing good could come. God shows up every day here in Kensington and other places that people call the Badlands all over the world. So this neighborhood has been you know, an inspiration for me for a quarter of a century. And I look forward to everything that the Spirit's going to do over the years. We After that fire, we begin to call that Phoenix Park and we reclaim that space. It's now filled with beautiful gardens and murals. And next month, we will see dedicated a community center there with a gym and workout equipment and a cafe and counseling and all kinds of resources for our neighborhood that our friends, it's been a coalition of folks, but especially our friends at Esperanza Health Center, which Esperanza means hope. We've redesigned that whole block that burnt down in 2007. So there's all kinds of great things ahead. And I'm grateful for this neighborhood that I get to call home. And uh, I get to meet God every day in Kensington. So thanks for for letting me go down this little um, track down memory lane of 25 years of the simple way. And um, I, I hope that we all kind of find some form of faith community where we can take Jesus seriously. And thank you for um, supporting us over the years, over 25 years of The Simple Way. I'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.